Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 108. Okay, everyone, grab a notebook and a pen because you are going to learn so much on this episode. Hey, friends, I'm so happy to be back with you again here on the Healing Catalyst podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and I am so glad that you're here spending part of your day with me. Today on the podcast, we are rounding out the November intention of hormones and our health with an incredible episode all about women's sexual health, including everything that you need to know about perimenopause and menopause with my guest, Dr. Somi Javed. Dr. Javed is a board-certified OB-GYN, a thought leader in women's sexual health, and a menopause advocate. She's also the founder and lead chief medical officer of HerMD, a team on a mission to make women's healthcare exceptional by educating, advocating for, and empowering patients to take control of their health concerns. Dr. Javed is also a TEDx speaker and has been featured in Forbes, Vogue, Well and Good, InStyle, Parents, Refinery29, Mashable, Adweek, and PopSugar. In our conversation, Dr. Javed and I discuss perimenopause and menopause to clarify the facts and debunk the myths, because there are a lot of myths out there. Dr. Javed also explains the benefits and risks of hormone therapy and the differences between estrogen, progesterone, and combination medications, as well as bioidentical hormones and natural hormones. And make sure that you stay until the end of the episode when Dr. Javed discusses the cutting edge treatments and research that she's doing in her clinics for sexual wellness, including microneedling therapy and Botox for vaginal dysfunction. Like I said earlier, pause this podcast and go grab a notebook and a pen because Dr. Javed drops so much knowledge that you'll be having aha moment after aha moment, just like I did. And you'll want to take notes on pretty much everything that she shares. I am so excited to share this conversation with Dr. Somi Javed about women's sexual health, including everything that you need to know about perimenopause and menopause as we explore hormones and our health. Somi, it is so great to meet you on the podcast. I know we met a couple of weeks ago. Well, I didn't actually meet you. I heard you on stage at the Pause Symposium in Brooklyn, New York. And I was so impressed with your work that I reached out to you and I really wanted to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for doing this with me today. Thank you for having me. I love having these conversations. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think it's it's a really, really important conversation to have you know, as a South Asian woman who is now 52 and actually, actually I just went through a breast cancer journey this past year, just finished my treatment a few weeks ago. These are topics that are so important to me for so many reasons. And so I'm just so grateful to have someone like you who is an expert in this field, who's doing such innovative, groundbreaking, 
you know, types of things in women's sexual health. And so it's just, it's such an honor to have you here. So thank you so, so much for doing this with me. Sounds like you've been through a lot yeah. and we hear that all the time. And that was my impetus really that women needed and deserved, you know, this type of healthcare and couldn't find it anywhere in the traditional systems. And yeah. You know, so kudos to you for everything you've been through and you're going to get to learn about a lot of options you have yeah. for any issues you may be experiencing. Yes. I know. I'll try not to turn this into a, you know, a consultation <laughs> for myself, but I know I'll have lots of questions. I'll have to do that with you another time. But, um, <laughs> you know, I really wanted to start off with this question. You know, we're talking about in the month of November, hormones and our health on the podcast. And of course, Women's health, women's sexual health is so important. This is a good place for us to start, given what we just talked about is, you know, what is sexual health? What does that really encompass? Because you're very specific on using the, the terminology of women's sexual health rather than just saying ob So what does that really mean to you? So for me, talking about all of the domains of sexuality, and what do I mean by that? You know, when women come and talk about their sexual health, it can be about pain. It can be about satisfaction. It can be about orgasm. It can be about arousal. It can be about lubrication. So there are many facets of our sexuality that can be impaired or not at goal right? There's not, you know, for a lot of men or for male patients, usually it's an anatomical issue. Now, men definitely struggle with decreased libido, but most of the pharmacotherapy and treatments that are out there are about a physical problem, right? Erectile dysfunction. But with women, it is so multifaceted. And so that is what we mean when we talk about sexual health. Is it a pain issue? Is it an arousal issue? We want to talk about women's pleasure. And there are validated tools, um, one of them being the female sexual function index that providers can actually give to a patient. They can fill it out. It's a survey. And we can then diagnose, you know, where a woman is struggling with her, with her sexual health and then come up with a formulated plan for that patient. Now, some patients are struggling with all of the domains of sexuality, right? Some women, it's very specific. You know, I only have pain or I only have problems with my sex drive. And so that's what I mean when we discuss sexuality. And why is it important? There was a survey in 2021 that came out that almost 26% of Americans were not having sex at all. I see women who lose relationships and partners because they don't understand what's going on with their sexuality and their partners interpret their low sex drive or maybe their sexual pain uh, personally as if there's a problem with the relationship when really it may be menopause that's causing you know the sexual pain or a woman has HSDD and you know people are what is that that's the medical terminology for low libido hypoactive sexual desire disorder one in 10 struggle with that and yet when i ask patients if they even know what that is they say no but everyone knows what ed uh, stands for you know erectile dysfunction so it's fascinating to me and so it is such a healthcare crisis right now for women in this country to be able to get a really good 
sexual health care and sexual health care options. Right. And so what's coming up for me also is that, you know, being an MD as well, like we went to medical school and it was always about the two sides, right? Either when you're getting pregnant or getting ready to get pregnant or, you know, the, the time of from puberty to pregnancy. And then there's that time from, you know, men, perimenopause to menopause and like all of the stuff in between is, is not talked about, not important, not associated with women's health, which I think is, you know, what you're kind of getting at is that it's this middle time, which we're in so much of our life in that period that we don't talk about in women's health, quote unquote. Right. And so it's sort of like, let's talk about all of it. Right. Which I really appreciate. No, we have to talk about it because there are so many health benefits to sexuality, lowered blood pressure, bolstered immunity, a reduced risk of depression and anxiety, reduced risk of losing a relationship, lower stress levels, you sleep better. We know that people who are sexually active, who desire to be sexually active, have improved confidence, better cardiovascular health. And so there are a lot of benefits and you burn calories, <laughs> you know, which a lot of uh, patients joke about, but it's true. And you also, you know, maintain pelvic floor health. And so I think we have to talk about sexual health. And we've gotten very comfortable in this country talking about, you know, men's sexual health, not so comfortable talking about women's sexual health, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. I think it's a great point. And so I actually am going to jump ahead. We're going to come back to this, you know, specifically in a little while, but I want to start by let's frame it with perimenopause and menopause. And the only reason I'm going here is again, it's hormonal health, but I get so many questions from this audience, from this listening community about perimenopause, menopause, hormone treatment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I have you an expert in this field. So I'd really like to jump into that and then we'll come back to sexual health specifically. But can you just start by maybe defining, you know, what is perimenopause? What is menopause? What are sort of the hormonal changes that are happening? Sort of like a, almost a primer, a 101 on this so that the listeners really can understand, because I do think it's very confusing sometimes to understand, like, is it just about the symptoms? Like not really understanding why am I going into this period of life? What's happening? Oh, for sure. So uh, menopause and perimenopause are sister diagnoses and can mimic each other, but I'm going to give you a very clear definition. So menopause is 12 consecutive months without any bleeding, or we can measure an FSH level, which is the quote unquote menopause hormone that really elevates in your blood when you go into menopause. And we can make the diagnosis either based on the lack of bleeding for 12 consecutive months or with blood levels. And the reason the FSH is going up, the follicular stimulating hormone, is because estrogen and testosterone are kind of plummeting as we go into menopause because we are leaving our reproductive years as far as childbearing. Perimenopause can have all the same symptoms of menopause. So from head to toe, there's over 30 described symptoms of menopause. And perimenopause can mimic everything. The only exception is that there is still some type of bleeding in perimenopause. And so for some women, it is still monthly. 
for some women, the cycles have gotten further apart. And so for some women, the transition right before menopause is they actually get closer together. And so that's the difference between perimenopause and menopause. And the average age of menopause in the United States is 51 plus. And then perimenopause can be up to 10 years preceding that. And so some women can start perimenopause in their 30s. Uh, It's very jarring and they're very shocked that it can start so young. And a very, very strong predictor of when you are going to go into menopause is actually when the women in your family went into menopause. And that's why it's so important to eradicate stigma, taboo, and shame. So many times I ask women like, when did your mom, you know, go through menopause? Oh, we don't talk about such things. Uh, but it would really help illuminate, you know, when that's going to happen to you if you understand your family history. Yeah, yeah. And so those are sort of the clinical definitions so you can understand, you know, as far as your menstrual periods, the sort of the patterns that you're seeing. Uh, from a hormonal perspective, really what's happening is estrogen and progesterone are starting to go down and tank. And FSH and LH are going up, right? And the testosterone is also the big one. I call that the hidden hormone because we don't talk about it enough in this country. And it's just as important for women as it is for men. We all make it. It's measurable in our bloodstream. We just have a fraction of what men have circulating in their system. And really we know that testosterone is what supports all of those domains of sexuality and a lot of our genital anatomy. And so testosterone is very vital. And I always joke that it's, it's the hidden hormone, but yes, estrogen is, is really declining. And that's when people start to notice, you know, the symptoms of menopause, you know, the hot flashes, the insomnia, the vaginal dryness. And so all of the things that begin to happen. And so that's what menopause is. It's estrogen withdrawal. Estrogen is this great feel good hormone. You know, I describe it like dropping from, you know, being used to six cups of coffee a day and having all that caffeine. And then all of a sudden you drop down to zero. And so that withdrawal is the reason women experience, you know, or can experience all these symptoms. Right. And so what are some of the common symptoms that women will feel or will experience as they start to move into perimenopause and then menopause? Some of the common ones, and maybe you could you know, explain sort of why does that happen also? So there is some mild cognitive decline. And what do I mean by that? Women will start to experience maybe some word finding or forgetfulness. Like, where did I put my cell phone? Where did I put my car keys? And it may happen, you know, more regularly than what they were used to. I already mentioned, you know, hot flashes, problems sleeping, dry skin. Dryness is because estrogen is hydrophilic. It likes water. It pulls water with it. And so as estrogen levels decline, we experience dryness everywhere, not just vaginal dryness. And so that vaginal dryness can lead to painful sex. We actually see changes in the vagina. So a normal healthy vagina has these beautiful folds that are called rugae. And the vagina is deeply colored like this 
pink color for most of us. And so as we go into menopause and we lose our hormonal levels or they start to go down, we start to see a loss of those folds and actually thinning of the vaginal tissue. And so then rather than looking like an accordion so we can stretch and accommodate our partners, it becomes more like a tube sock. And it's very hard to stretch that tissue. And so that's when people describe burning and tearing with intercourse. And we describe this collaborative symptoms of both the bladder and the vagina, more frequent vaginal infections, uh, bladder infections, urgency, frequency, painful sex is genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM. Uh, women can experience weight gain, particularly in the midsection as both our uh, metabolism changes, but then also where our body decides to deposit extra adipocytes or fat cells. And in the reproductive years, typically for most women, it's in the breast or hips and thighs. As we move into this menopausal phase, women describe having this, you know, midsection that's getting larger where they didn't have that before. And they're like, Dr. Vade, what's, what's going on? Um, loss of bone density. So these are the invisible symptoms that I describe. So in the first couple of years after menopause, we can lose a lot of our bone density and it happens very rapidly. And it's because of that loss of estrogen. Our risk of cardiovascular disease all of a sudden increases and starts to mirror men. Sleep disturbances, either inability to fall asleep or waking up in the middle of the night. A lot of the times the temperature differences, anxiety, depression, hair loss. I mean, it sounds so depressing. It you does. know, I'm like saying all of all of the things that can happen, but you know what right. we're going to talk about are there's so many things to do about this. And right. so a lot of the sexual side effects are due to the drop in testosterone and most of the other things that I talked about, the bone loss, the dryness are attributable to the lower estrogen. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing explanation of a lot of the side effects. And one of the things I want to just click into is the, the bone density loss, because, you know, so yes. many, so many of these listeners are very health conscious and they're, you know, they're hearing about, you know, why their doctors are saying, do weight bearing exercise, do this, do that. And it's really because the estrogen is protective against bone density loss, right? The way our osteoclast osteoblasts work, it's preventative. And so when you have that decrease of estrogen, you're going to have a higher risk of, of bone density loss, really. Yeah. So estrogen is our biggest uh, protector of bone. There's nothing else that's equivocal. And so if you are a candidate for hormone therapy, you know, that's what I recommend. I'm a big proponent of hormone therapy. It is finally the party line. We have actually honored and stated that we actually did more harm than good by withholding hormones from women that are candidates or patients that are candidates. And so I think, you know, we all read that article that came out earlier this year about how women have been truly misled in menopause. You know, prescribers stopped prescribing, doctors stopped learning, women threw out their medications. And really, you know, this has been going on for two decades. And it's so sad because there was so much data that followed the WHI study that was stopped prematurely that really scared a lot of women and practitioners. And what makes me really sad about that is we didn't share the glorious bits of data that we got out of that, that women that were in the estrogen-only arm actually had a decreased risk of developing breast cancer. They had a decreased risk of dying from breast cancer if they developed it, overall decreased risk of mortality. 
And so, and the study was stopped prematurely, as you know. And there were multiple studies done after that that showed the prolific positive benefits on heart, on brain, on bone for hormones, and no press conference was called. And so really, we have done a disservice for a very long time for a lot of women. Yeah, you know, that's something actually that I think I was absolutely stunned by when I was at the conference two weeks ago when I met you is just hearing provider after provider, expert after expert in women's health, women's sexual health, talking about the WHI study, which is the women, the Women's Health Initiative study that was done about two decades ago. And some of the just misguided theories, misguided, you know, thoughts about what that study showed. And it was sort of taken out of context, not, you know, not actually what the findings were. And it totally sort of had a domino effect, exactly what you said of providers saying, I'm not going to, you know, prescribe hormone therapy and then women saying, I don't want hormone therapy. So let's clear up a little bit of sort of the myths and misconceptions, because I think this is really where there is so much debate and talk, especially among patients too. You know, you'll hear the two sides. I don't want to do hormone therapy, or I do want to do hormone therapy, or I want bioidentical or natural, or I want the medications. There's so much confusion. I would love it if you could help us clear up a little bit of this and maybe give people a way to think about this, this Mm -hmm. whole area of, and as you said, you're a very big proponent of hormone therapy. So let's just dive in there. I am a big proponent of hormone therapy and the appropriate patient. I am also a big proponent of patient choice. And so as long as my patient understands risk benefit analysis and is not led by myth and she's opting out of hormone therapy, that's fine. Her body, her choice. When I get scared is when patients are making decisions about hormones based on inaccuracies or myths. And so we know that study was poorly designed because it included a lot of older women who are not typically, you know, started on hormone therapy, 70 to 79, didn't, it underrepresented patients we normally would start on hormone therapy, you know, that 50 to 59 age group. And so what I want women understand is that if we take transdermal estrogen, for example, so there's two buckets of hormone therapy, there's systemic or, you know, that is full dose hormone therapy. And then there's just localized therapy that you use, you know, in the vagina, and that can be an insert, it can be a cream. And that is just to treat GSM or the localized symptoms of menopause that I had addressed earlier. And then there's full blown hormone therapy, and that can include estrogen and progesterone and then testosterone if your doctor is willing to prescribe it, because currently in this country, despite all of the data and a NAMS statement, NAMS was North American Menopause Society. They have since rebranded to Menopause Society and have practice guidelines and actually support testosterone therapy. And there was a global consensus statement a few years ago that came out talking about the benefits of testosterone therapy, but we do not have an FDA approved testosterone only treatment currently in this country. And so things I want women to know is if they go on full-blown hormone therapy, a transdermal, what do I mean by that? So a non-oral medication, so either a patch or a spray or a gel 
is much lower risk than the oral medication. So that's the first thing that we know. And so transdermals are actually not proven to be thrombogenic or cause blood clot like the oral medications. We're still very cautious in that patient population. Progesterone, this is where until now, everyone's been in agreement, but there's a lot of doctors who now will prescribe progesterone to women, even if they don't have a uterus. Typically, um, and I am still of the thought process that if you are in menopause and you have a uterus, you will be put on estrogen and progesterone. And the reason is, is estrogen can increase your risk of endometrial cancer. So that is true. And we put you on progesterone to balance that out. The other benefit of progesterone is it makes people sleepy. And so they love it for the sleep benefit. Women who do not have a uterus do not need to be placed on progesterone. So they will be offered an estrogen only option. And then, like I mentioned, testosterone can be delivered in a multitude of different ways. Some providers will prescribe male testosterone at a much lower dose. I don't like that as much because it's costly for patients and can be very hard to titrate. We can compound testosterone. So as long as it's a good, reputable compounding pharmacy, which there are a lot out there now, women can use it transdermally or on their skin. And then there are also pellets that women can use, which look like little Tic Tacs and can be placed underneath the skin with a very minor procedure. Pellets have gotten a very, very bad rap in this country because there's a lot of uh, hormone centers, pop-up centers that are doing this without any expertise, without a patient actually seeing a provider, without checking serum levels or checking blood levels. And that can be very, very problematic. So my advice to patients is make sure you find a menopause provider that actually specializes in hormones, either an OBGYN or a nurse practitioner or a PA that actually has had adequate training. Because currently less than 20% of providers are trained in this country when it comes to menopause care. The other thing I want to tell women, and I know you heard this last week, you're shocked about is even though the vaginal medications, now there is one that is delivered in the vagina that goes full-blown. But most of the time, the majority of the medications that you put in vaginally are not full-blown hormone replacement therapy or hormone therapy, but the package inserts are the same. And so you will go home and you will open this up. And even though a fraction of it is absorbed into your bloodstream, you will read that you have risk of dementia, stroke, heart attack. And so patients are very, very scared to take you know, these localized hormones, even though a lot of oncologists are on board with it because it really can help mitigate those symptoms of GSM that I was talking about earlier. And I think the other really important take-home message is that hormonal window or that menopause therapy window that we talk about. You know, hormones are most beneficial within the first 10 years of menopause, ideally within the first three to five. And it's because you're trying to protect that bone bone loss that starts to happen. But that's when you can really also help prevent that cardiovascular risk, help with the cognitive you know, changes that start to happen. And obviously the younger we are, the less risk we have of other you know, disease processes that can happen. And so I think if you really want to make a positive impact and you are going to opt for hormones, the earlier, the better. Yeah. And so I think that touches on such a myth and a misconception that 
you know, there's a certain time later that you should start hormone therapy, not earlier, right? That's that's a common myth of like, oh, I don't need to do it until I'm completely in menopause, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's sort of the message here is that it is good to start early when you start to see some of those changes to go and talk to a provider who is trained so you can figure out what you're going to be doing. Talk to a provider, get the diagnosis of menopause, and then you know get, get on therapy if you so choose and if you are a candidate. And sometimes, you know, I don't like to blanket absolutely not because it really depends. I think there's a lot of emerging data, and that's where it's precision medicine. You really take a patient's history, both personal and family history, maybe their genetic cancer, you know, screening what they have been through. And then sometimes you have to talk to the other providers. Like a lot of times, you know, we do a lot of survivorship care per MD and we get the oncologist involved and we say, Hey, this is our plan. This is what we want to do. And they will say yay or nay. And then, you know, we'll talk to the patient and, and make a decision together as a care team. This episode is brought to you by Vimergy. You know, over the past eight months, I've been asked by so many people what I've been doing to help myself through the difficult journey of a breast cancer diagnosis. And while I credit so much of my healing to Western medical treatments of chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation, and the integration of using food as medicine, acupuncture, meditation, and time in nature, there's another tool that I know has been absolutely critical, and that's the addition of supplements. Because the reality is that in this modern world, it's not easy to get all of the nutrients you need through food alone. And with the colder months and the holidays approaching, taking supplements to boost energy and support health is even more important. That's why I like products by Vimergy. Their products are non-GMO, gluten-free, soy-free, vegan, and paleo-friendly, and are rigorously clinically researched, which means that you can feel confident in their formulations and ingredients. I especially like their magnesium glycinate supplement, which I take daily to support sleep. Let Vimergy's products help take care of you while you take care of everything else. Visit Vimergy.com and enter code Avanti-Vim, V-I-M, at checkout to get 5% off your first order. That's Vimergy, V-I-M-E-R-G-Y.com. Code Avanti-Vim. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to back up for a second and talk about your perspective on, you know, the the medications that you spoke about, but then, you know, this idea of bioidentical and then natural supplementation. Because again, you know, this this audience is sort of really, really uh, open-minded and wants to know about all the options. And so can you talk to us a little bit about sort of what your perspective is on bioidenticals, supplementation, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, I will tell you, not all are created equal. So bioidentical just means that if you look at the hormone underneath the microscope, that what you are taking is identical to what your ovaries were producing. And so, for example, the drug that was studied in the WHI, Premarin and Prempro, was not bioidentical. Premarin was originally derived from pregnant mare urine, Premarin, 
and I think had upwards of like 17 different molecules of estrogen. And so then most women assume that if they are, want something bioidentical, they have to pay a fancy hormone center lots of cash. That's not true. There are FDA approved products that your insurance will cover that are bioidentical. So you just have to either ask your provider or read the packaging. There are uh, supplements are not all equivocal. There are some companies that have done their due diligence and there is a lot of data and there are others that haven't. And so I love the company Bonafide. You will see a lot of OBGYNs carry them because that was the way that they decided to launch in the marketplace. And so some of the supplements that I like in this space, Relizen and Equel, and if, if a patient doesn't want to go the hormonal route, a lot of times people will think, well, if it's a phytoestrogen, it's not really estrogen. Well, no, a phytoestrogen, those are plant-based estrogens. Those are still estrogens and they'll still, you know, latch on to estrogen receptors in the body. And so you have to be careful about that. And I think, you know, there are two FDA approved medications for hot flashes that are non-hormonal. So Vioza was the one that was just FDA approved this year. They're the ones that did this big, you know, Super Bowl commercial. And then Brisdell has been around for a while. If a woman does not want to go on hormones and they want natural therapy for GSM, you know, there are procedures that we can do. We just presented our data about radiofrequency and microneedling. There's CO2 laser. There are, you know, you can go to a pelvic floor physical therapist. There are moisturizers. There are lubricants. There are medications, you know this, you're a physician, that we can use to treat, you know, low bone density or preventative, you know, for osteopenia, which is bone thinning or osteoporosis. So really, if a if a patient does not want to take hormones, there are so many options, either FDA-approved medications, off-label medications, digital therapeutics, and I'll get into that a little bit. So for low libido, for example, and you let's say a woman is like, nope, I don't feel comfortable with testosterone. There are two FDA-approved medications. Addy is one, Bilisi is the second, and they both are completely non-hormonal, work on neurochemistry or work on the brain, which I call the biggest sex organ. And a lot of patients who are not candidates for hormone therapy are candidates for both of those medications. So if they want something like that, you know, they can do that. There's also two great apps that I love that have data that also help women with sexual function. So one of them is called Rosie, started by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Lindsay Harper and has data that it helps with the domains of sexuality. It is a app that teaches about female sexual function, but also has stories, erotica, that women can read to get them in the mood to help with desire. There's another app called Dipsy, where women can listen to audio erotica, and it can really help support sexual function. A great study was presented last year talking about vibrators and how they can help with female sexual function satisfaction, but also pelvic floor health. And so that's why it's so important to go into a practitioner because you know that's where you can talk about hormone therapy. I don't want hormones, but I do want an FDA approved medication. Talk to me about you know over-the-counter products or therapy or counseling. I mean, the options are limitless. And that's the other myth I want to get rid of. I still hear in 2023, 
grin and bear it. Just drink some wine and you'll be fine. You know, there's nothing we can do. And it's, it's shocking to me that this is still happening to women now. Right, right. Wow. I have to take that all in. That, that is so much information. And I think, you know, I think what you're really sort of providing right now is that there is such a range of what you can be doing in this time of life if you are having any of these symptoms that are related to perimenopause and menopause. It doesn't have to just be hormone therapy as we have, you know, sort of thought about it. And, you know, I really want to uh, tap into one other thing is that we don't say hormone replacement therapy anymore. It's hormone therapy. I'm being very specific in how I'm saying this. I know that you are too, because why do we have to replace anything? It's about being therapeutic for women, right? It's like, why, why the replacement? I, it's such a patriarchal sort of term, I think, used in medicine. And I had to catch myself because, you know, for Years. Yes. That's what I That's used to say. HRT, HRT. Yes. yes. And now we say hormone therapy because for the women who are opting not to, which is their right and their choice, they're like, we're going to embrace this part of our life. We're maybe not having symptoms or we're using other modalities and we don't need anything replaced. And that's fine. But I also don't want to shame the women who are opting for hormones and are feeling like they got their lives back. A lot of times I will start women on hormones and they are like, I feel like myself again, Dr. Schmade. I have clear, you know, thinking I can function at work. I'm not hot flashing anymore. Um, and for me personally, I will tell you, I couldn't imagine not going on hormones. I've started my own perimenopausal journey. I'm 48 years old and it's funny. My first own three hot flashes, I did not recognize because the medical literature is so poor in describing what a hot flash feels like, I thought I was either having a heart attack or an anxiety attack. And I am not a sweater. I, I always, the hotter, the better. For me, I'm always cold. My hair was drenched. I was tachycardic. My heart was racing. I was pacing. And my husband is like, what is wrong? And I was like, I have no idea. And when the third one happened, I go, oh my God, this is what my patients are telling me, you know, they're experiencing. I couldn't imagine having to deal with that all the time and trying to function. Right. Right. No, I, th I think it's, it's so interesting because when you're a physician, you're trained to see it in other people, but you don't see it in yourself. It's the funniest. It's, it's the most bizarre thing actually. And I don't even understand how that works that we don't even recognize it in ourselves, but it is what it is. Right. Okay. So I, I think that you, you know, do want to click into something you said, and this is not, that is really, really important for the listeners is that there is no right or wrong. You know, we say this on this podcast all the time when we're talking about Ayurveda, there's no good or bad. There's just what's right for you. And I think that that is really the point that you're driving home is that there are so many options because again, one of the myths that we have all bought into and have been hearing for so many years is that there's one way to do it, right? Either, yes, you have to have hormones or no, you absolutely should not have hormones. There's like no in between. And then there's all these myths about, you know, this is bad, this is good, that's bad, this is good. Like it's so confusing. And I think what you're really providing is this this perspective of like, there is something for everyone. And it's all about having that conversation with a provider who knows what they're doing, who's been trained really specifically to really address these issues. 
and understands all of the different options that you have, right? So I think that that's, that's a really important point. So moving from that, because I know I have so many questions and I have like 15 minutes left with you. So I'm going to just, you know, blow through these questions is that how, how do diet and exercise and sleep affect perimenopause and menopause, like lifestyle and behavior modification? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And so diet is the other word I want to get away from, right? Because women think, I think it sounds punitive and like you're restricting yourself. And so I say lifestyle modifications, or this is the way you're going to eat. And so how do you compound some of this weight gain and how do you protect your bones? You know, and that's what I talk to women about. You are exercising for your bones. You are exercising for your cardiovascular health, it's so imperative to prevent, you know, or decrease that risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And you are, you know, revving up your metabolism and you are strengthening your core and your pelvic floor. And so that is why we exercise in menopause. And so obviously weight-bearing exercises, you know, so walking is the easiest one really want to do something that helps your core. So whether it's yoga or Pilates, that also helps your pelvic floor, right? And will help you with some of the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. I am a fan of intermittent fasting. I think when we go a little bit too far with that is when women start to go a day without food. I'm not a proponent of fad anything. I'm not a proponent of elimination of anything. I believe in moderation. I'm never going to tell a patient, you know, to stop drinking unless there's a, a true issue there. But moderation, right, for everything. And so, but intermittent fasting has been proven to be beneficial for women, particularly for weight gain, and can also help with some of that, you know, menopausal weight gain, particularly around the midsection. Intermittent fasting also lowers our insulin levels. And we know that chronically high insulin levels can increase our risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and a lot of cancers. And so I love intermittent fasting because it also reduces our risk of, of cancer. As far as sleep goes and sleep disturbances, if patients, you know, a lot of times when they go on hormone therapy, I told you it, like particularly the prometrium or progesterone component can help, but the party line and first line therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. And so, you know, going to a sleep specialist, but there are things that you can do in your room that I have personally done, you know, setting the thermostat a few degrees lower, taking a lukewarm shower rather than a hot shower before you go to bed, making sure that you're not stimulated with the phone, you know, as you're going to sleep. Uh, there is now, you know, mattress cover that can actually help with thermoregulation. There are pajamas. There are so many things that you can do environmentally to really create or, and promote better sleep. So that's very, very important. And then there are apps that also, I mean, here I am telling you to stay off your phone, but, you know, <laughs> put on the Calm app, yep. you know, put a story on and then get your phone out of, out of reach and, and don't reach for it anymore. So many people want just a pill. Like, can you just give me a pill and make me go to sleep? Those pills are really meant short term. And even melatonin, even though it's natural, long term studies show that it's, it's not safe. 
be taken on a nightly basis. And then we become resistant to it and need higher and higher dosages. So really that's why, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and really making those environmental natural changes are, are really what we recommend to support sleep. Yeah. And so many of the lifestyle changes that you talked about are just good for you in general. You know, regardless of, you know, whether you're going through menopause or perimenopause, they're good for you in general to follow some of those things for good sleep hygiene, for, you know, weight control, insulin sensitivity, all of those things. So it's, it's all, it's all beneficial for you. Well, well, we need sleep. I mean, think about how horrible we feel when we don't sleep. And we know that a lot of repair mechanisms are going on, you know, when we sleep. And so when we don't sleep, we're not only cranky, we don't think clearly, our body doesn't have its restorative mechanisms. We're more likely to gain weight when we're sleep deprived. We don't eat as well. And then it also negatively impacts sex drive. So when women aren't sleeping, and particularly chronically, they do not want to have sex on top of all of the hormonal changes. And so that's why sleep is so important. And I really want to stress that for women, concentrate so much on that number on the scale. And so, you know, we are so much more than a number. And if we get away from that and focus on the other benefits of exercise, I think that is a really powerful message. And the other message that I want to tell women is, you know, you talked about tailored therapy, but it's okay during the journey to change your mind. So some women may come in very anti or very scared about hormone or thinking they want to go on hormone as you're going through your journey, you're allowed to change your mind. It's your body, exactly, you know? Exactly. You don't have to just be stringent to, you know, one, one point of view or the other. Again, it's your body. You're allowed to make changes based on your experience too. Um, okay. I want to switch gears because I really want to talk to you about all the research you're doing, you know, any preliminary findings or key insights, but I also really want to talk about some of your areas of interest in sexual health. And we kind of started the episode with this talking about some of the other sexual wellness issues that you are hearing a lot about, you know, with your patients and some of the things that you're doing in your clinics, which will also kind of talk about your, your very, very super cool, innovative approach to women's healthcare with her MD. But, you know, vaginal laser therapy, you know, talking about orgasm dysfunction, pelvic floor health. Let's get into some of those areas. I know I just asked you like three questions at once, but we'll kind of go through all of them. All right. So the first <laughs> thing is, you know, I started something called HerMD University so that 100% of our providers are trained on menopause and sexual health care. So we're very, very proud of that. Uh, what came out of that is we started pulling our data on our outcomes and we were invited not to share one, but two of our posters because that's how groundbreaking our data is. And so we presented just last month, the Menopause Society, our radiofrequency microneedling. So you know how women use that on the face. So my what's microneedling? You purposely kind of puncture the skin and cause a controlled injury. So the body repairs itself. So you lay down collagen, elastin, and increase blood flow. And what we showed with microneedling and radiofrequency in the vagina is that we had a 95% improvement in the symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause and a 90% improvement with stress incontinence. And so this is not surgery. This is not hormones. You know, this is a, a 
in and out procedure in the offices that's done with just local numbing. And so that's pretty amazing. And it's groundbreaking because, you know, for a lot of cancer patients who may not want to take hormone or not candidates, it's a really nice, you know, optionality. And so that was great data. The other uh, area of sexual health that I'm really passionate about is something called vaginismus. It is the involuntary contraction of the muscles surrounding the vaginal opening or a problem with our pelvic floor, right? Pelvic floor really quickly are all the muscles that support urinary bladder function or GI function, right? Nobody wants to pass gas, poop, pee when they don't want to. Um, We have to have enough tone that we hold things in, but not so much tone that we cannot insert a tampon or have a pelvic exam or have intercourse if that's the goal. And so individuals with vaginismus, a lot of them can't have intercourse or they can't insert a tampon. And so we inject Botox into the muscles surrounding the vagina at her MD. And what we noticed was a 95% improvement in their symptoms. And so previous, prior to this standard of care was about 63 to 75% improvement. And so we are smashing the status quo. And you can see me smiling ear to ear because data is the only way forward uh, for women's healthcare and the way we are going to start to get these kind of procedures covered with insurance and truly, you know, make a difference. women. And so that is, you know, been my passion is to give women a space that is taboo and stigma free to talk about their sexual health care. There's been a huge gender disparity. Uh, There were 26 medications for men that were FDA approved and they deserve every single one of them. But for a long time, there were only two options for women. And the first FDA approved medication took six years you know, Viagra was fast tracked in six months. And yeah. And so my goal is to really eliminate a lot of the barriers that exist and why we got here for women's healthcare, because, you know, I nearly lost my mother when she was only 45 years old because of our very broken healthcare system. And so I vowed that I would change the things. So time was a huge barrier, you know, for access, who can accomplish anything in 15 minutes, data, So that's why I'm doing research, gender bias. And that's why our providers are all trained, you know, lack of training and then lack of decision makers. And so even though women outnumber men in the healthcare workforce, we're not in those decision making positions. And so most of our executive team and all of our founders and most of our providers are women. And so we're changing the paradigm that we know and, you know, smashing those glass ceilings. And so at HerMD, we provide treatment for all of that. So orgasm dysfunction, arousal, libido, you know, dryness, pain. And we take what we call a biopsychosocial approach, which means that we just don't prescribe a medication or a hormone. We take into account what's going on with your personal history, your hormones, your relationship. And it is that biopsychosocial approach, getting you into counseling, pelvic floor physical therapy, procedures, you know, recommending apps, for example, that are really giving us these amazing outcomes when it comes to women's sexual health care. Wow. I mean, I was so blown away by hearing you speak about what you're doing. Uh, And, you know, from a personal standpoint, totally going to come to one of your clinics. So I'll call you about that later. You know, after going through 
breast cancer treatment. These are all issues that I'm dealing with. And I have an estrogen positive tumor that I was treated for. So, you know, a lot of the the hormone therapies are off the table for me. So, you know, many of them are, many of them might not be, you know, it's just, we'll have to see, but I need, I need some guidance on that because I can't be my own doctor, of course. But um, what is next for you, my dear? I mean, you're doing some kick-ass stuff in women's health. I know you have clinics all over the country now. I mean, you tell us what's next. I can only imagine. So one final thought. What you were saying. So yes, nine, nine out of every 10 uh, female cancer survivors are struggling with some type of sexual health care issue and only one in 10 are offered treatment options. And so that's why we are so passionate about survivorship. I've raised $30 million up to date from minority female founder from Ohio. You know, doesn't happen. No, it does I'll not. Be, wow. It does not. But it uh, did. We have another, <laughs> it, did. it did. We have another location that is under construction in Nashville. And so that'll be our second location there. And then I'll be entering another round of fundraising early next year to just keep building out clinics. And the ultimate goal is 200. We'll see where we get, uh, you know, because so many women need this care. When we open our centers, we have wait lists of 500 to upwards of over a thousand women that are accessing this care you know, because women deserve menopause and sexual health care within an insurance-based system and an integrated model of brick and mortar so they can come in if they need to, but we also have virtual care. And so that's what I'm doing, training, teaching, and opening new centers and taking every stage that I can so I can just educate, educate, educate. Wow. I'm, I'm truly amazed by, by what you're doing. Before we finish, can I ask you a couple really quick Speed round questions. These are just a way for the listeners to get to know you a little bit differently. I didn't, I didn't send yes. these to you ahead of time, but really quickly. No, it's perfect. Okay, great. Complete this sentence. Sexual wellness is? Healthcare. Yes. What is one myth about menopause that we need to change? That there's nothing we can do about it. What's something that people often get wrong about you? They think I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I would have thought that too, but I guess I know I'm not an extrovert either. I think a lot of us who teach, we're actually introverts, but we get up on stage and talk about something that we're passionate about and it's, it's totally different. <laughs> so I get that. Total extroverted introvert. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. What is something that most people don't know about you? That I am a world traveler and an amazing cook. Ah, amazing. We'll have to have dinner sometime together. <laughs> what is one thing that you're really excited about right now? I am really excited about personally, I have some fantastic trips that are coming up with my children. And I mentioned I've been in eight states in 14 days for work. Yeah. So I'm really focused on getting to spend some quality family time. We love discovering the world together. Work-wise, I cannot be more excited about this new location that's coming up. It's always, it's like giving birth to another baby yeah. for me. Every time I, because I select every location, I'm still involved in hiring every provider. And so for me, that's, that's what's really exciting. Amazing. What's one thing that you're deeply grateful about right now? Oh my God, I'm so deeply grateful for my tribe. Everyone asks, you know, they describe me as superwoman and I'm like, no, I'm a blessed woman because I have a team of uh, providers that believe in this mission, that believe in me, even on days when I don't believe in myself. And I have a family that 
supports and loves me and lifts me up every single day. What's a book that's on your nightstand right now? Mother, Daughter, Murder. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. It is Reese Witherspoon's latest book. So I literally just bought it for a pleasure trip. Yes. So yeah. (laughs) What is a song that you're listening to on repeat right now? Oh my God. That is so funny. You're on your own kid. What's that? It's... So I'm a Swifty. Okay, you're a Swifty. Another, okay. I'm a Swifty. You know, took my daughters this summer and had a blast, but I've been listening to her for a very long time. Yeah. It, it's a pretty prolific song if you think about it from the perspective of being a entrepreneur and a founder. There are days where it is glorious and you're on top of the hill, and there are other days where you feel like you're crashing and burning. And that's what it feels like when you're fundraising. Yeah. And yeah. You're trying to talk to a lot of gentlemen about women's sexual health care, mm-hmm. and you're trying to get them to write very, very large checks. Mm-hmm. And so that is a song as I'm prepping for fundraising next year, because the preparations start way before. Sure. I've been listening to that one for motivation. Amazing. So. I love it. Are you going to watch the movie? Isn't the Swifty movie coming out next week? I think. Oh my God. You are so funny. So Sunday, I have a picnic planned with the girls. and. And then we are going to watch the movie. So I have three children. Yeah. My son's in college and then I have two teenage daughters. And so I'm traveling again for the next couple of days for work. And then I am coming home for the weekend and that's what we're doing on Sunday. Yeah. A picnic and the movie. The only reason I know about that is because I'm going to it with my college friends next weekend when we're having a reunion. It was like first on the list for one of my friends. So that's the only reason I even know that there's such a thing as a Swifty movie. But I think this is a good place for us to end our time (laughs) together. It's been so much fun. So I have just one more question for you. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Balance. Somi, thank you so much for doing this with me. You have so much knowledge and you've been so generous sharing it with us. And I wish you so much luck. I will be following you on everything that's going on with your business and these amazing clinics. And I hope that you'll come back again. I think there's so many more topics that we should talk about that I would love to have you back. So thank you so much for doing this with me. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.